Spooky Girl was born out of a feeling of being totally other and totally alienated, which is also why I tend to draw so many aliens. Um, I've always felt like I was saying stuff that people either didn't want to hear or, or weren't hearing. And it's been really interesting to go through that experience feeling so isolated and feeling like getting criticism. I was criticized by my own professors in, uh, <laughs> in art school for pursuing illustration. And, and I, of course, came back to school with more of an adult perspective. So I would seek out my professors and I'd be like, hey, you know, I'm going to be an illustrator. So for this class, I'm going to present illustrations to you because that's what's going to serve me in my career. And, you know, it did not fly with them. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. My guest on this week's episode is Andy Astra, who is the founder and creative director at Spooky Girl. Andy Astra is an illustrator and artist that is also known by fans and followers as Spooky Girl. Spooky Girl's work consists of colorful home decor, art, and apparel for everyday use that celebrates creative self-expression, while also questioning the status quo and creating the place you belong. Spooky Girl encourages people to connect with their highest selves and inspire their inner child through art and color. Spooky Girl identifies as a queer, multidisciplinary artist from Honolulu, Hawaii. Andy began creating science fiction and alien-centric art under Spooky Girl in 2015, using these themes to explore their identity and relationship with femininity. Spooky Girl was born from the feeling of perpetual otherness, a theme Andy continues to explore throughout their work. Through the creation of Spooky Girl, Andy has found a like-minded community of people who exist outside society's traditional expectations. Fortunate enough to have a formal art education, Andy hopes to share all they have learned with artists in their community who are struggling to find their footing in the professional world. This past year, Andy officially titled this initiative the Outer Rim Collective, an artist collective passionate about growth, sustainable business, community, and collaboration. The Outer Rim's goal is to connect like-minded LGBTQ artists, creatives, and entrepreneurs to expand businesses and grow as artists, as well as provide opportunities to showcase art and educate the community. I initially became a fan and viewed Spooky Girl's extraordinarily vibrant and psychedelic artwork in person while attending the Meet Delic conference last November in Las Vegas. Meet Delic is the premier psychedelic business and wellness conference with keynote speakers such as Duncan Trussell, Aubrey Marcus, Allison Charles, Dr. Carl Hart, and MC of last year's conference was Shane Moss. Seamus was one of the first guests featured on two episodes of Neurons to Nirvana podcast while I was attending the Meet Delic conference. The fact that many pieces of Spooky Girl's art were exhibited at Meet Delic signifies how the psychedelic community has fully embraced the fantastic work created by Andy Astra. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to know Andy Astra, aka Spooky Girl. Andy, hey, how are you? 
Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm super excited to have you on and to share your story and your life's work with my audience. I think that what you do is certainly in line with many of the topics that I discuss here on Neuronster Nirvana. I've got to ask you, did I read that uh, Spooky Girl came from Spooky Mulder? Is that right? You're, you are correct. Yes. A lot of people don't really get that reference, but um, Spooky Girl um, was born out of my obsession with the X-Files. Um, I got really into that show when I created Spooky Girl, which was now like eight years ago. Of course, I had no idea that Spooky Girl, when I was choosing that name, would be something that followed me uh, through my professional career in the way that it has. So that's kind of funny looking back. But I was always so, um, I thought it was so funny how they re referred to Mulder as being spooky, because I think that most people have this association of spooky with like kind of like horror stuff. And to refer to Mulder as being like the spooky one who lives in the basement, who's obsessed with aliens and like the paranormal, um, it, it really resonated with me because it to me, they were using spooky in this way that meant kind of like the weirdo, right? Like the other. And um, that's to me what Spooky Girl represents is like, yeah, it obviously has the correlation with aliens and the paranormal and supernatural and stuff. But to me, the way that Spooky Mulder exists in the X-Files is like, oh, that weirdo that's in the basement. And uh, that's how I've always felt. So, <laughs> Right. How old were you? Was that like one of your first shows that you were fully immersed in? The um, X-Files? I would say it was or... one of the first shows I was fully immersed in as like an adult. I did grow up okay. um, really heavily into like fantasy and sci-fi. That was always something that I always really loved. It came from my dad, my dad's influence. He showed me a lot of the like classic sci-fi stuff growing up. And uh, we didn't really get into a ton of shows as the family because there was a lot of kind of weird, my parents are very uh, conservative Christian. So my dad's obsession with sci-fi and fantasy kind of like went against the grain in that. Like, you know, I wouldn't be allowed to watch normal tv but then we would watch alien and i was always like you know be a little consistent guys um but i definitely grew up watching a lot of sci-fi yeah what just uh humor me i guess what uh like fantasy sci-fi what were you into movies wise and so forth well, so I'm super inspired by retro sci-fi and like heavy metal. My um, mm -hmm. my favorite sci-fi, my favorite movie of all time is The Fifth Element, which I feel like um, oh, that wow. you can get a huge feel for like my taste and my art and like all of that just based on that. <laughs> uh, that. But that influence of like heavy metal and that like pop art sci-fi has always been something I'm real. I've been super interested in. I'm super into like the retro futurism and this like absurdist idea of like, you know, like girls in bikinis in space like i kind of like like yeah. the of that. you know like i like the pulpy oh, yeah. of it and i think it's really fun so like that type of stuff i didn't realize it but you and i have been uh in the same pro proximity as one another i was at meet Della. oh no way your art. So funny yeah, yeah my artwork yeah. is up on display yeah all over yeah. yeah how did you get involved with meet Delic and mal wolf because i think that's where we're aligned obviously is your artwork is very vibrant and of course has psychedelic themes and I love the colors and everything that you choose with your art. Um, I got into working with Meet Delic through a friend of mine named Madison, who um, I met when I was living in Detroit. We were both uh, modeling in the same circles. And I think that was a huge help for my career and getting started with social media is that I was I modeled for a couple of years when I was like 18 to 20. And really, it wasn't that I like got this like media literature, li literacy. It was more that 
I ended up meeting all these really incredible people who, um, like Madison, who was kind of like a model, but also did kind of influencer stuff, but was really um, super heavy into like uh, spreading the knowledge about psychedelics and about cannabis use and that type of thing. So her and I have stayed in touch and she actually was the one who recommended me for the work. Uh, she ended up working at Medelic as well, um, one of the coordinators. And so she reached out and her and I have kind of had this kind of long relationship where we've started at the same spot. And then our careers have, of course, evolved into what they are now. That's great. Since Medelic, because that was in November of last year, 2021, have you done any other psychedelic themed like exhibits? Not particularly. And I really do think that it's because of, of my location right now in Hawaii. Right. Um, I'm finding that I kind of have to be a little bit of a pioneer for that type of stuff here, which I have been doing my best to do, um, working with like local galleries and local um, you know, communities of being like, hey guys, let's try some blacklight art. Let's try some psychedelic <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, I'm so happy to be here. I met my partner here and we, and he's an artist as well. So we have this really amazing space, but that is something I'm missing a little bit. Um, being on the mainland, there's definitely more of a space for psychedelic art and more of a, like a welcoming community. And I think I'm more well-known in that space there. And then here I'm kind of like, everyone kind of thinks I'm crazy. They're like, what type of art do you Wait, know? why do they think you're crazy, though? I love it. Your art's great. Well, it's just not, you know, it's not as mainstream here. So I'm definitely, like, I just have to work a little bit harder to kind of pull my community out of, you know, <laughs> the spaces. And I do that, like, I'll host little events at, I, I've hosted a couple, um, like, blacklight shows and, like, psychedelic type of stuff, of course, on a much smaller scale. But that's my kind of my reclaiming of that. Like, I don't get the opportunity to do as much of that stuff here on the professional level like i usually have to go to the mainland to do stuff like that so my kind of compensating has been like okay guys i'm bringing it to you you know like i'm opening my house to you here's a psychedelic experience sure yeah so since you're in hawaii are you doing exhibit like in larger cities where do you live first off exactly in hawaii um close to honolulu okay so are have you done some stuff in galleries or exhibitions uh in Honolulu and Maui and so forth? Yeah, a few. Um, like I said, the response to my art here is very... <laughs> and I'm kind of learning to make my peace with that over the past year. It's been a, a pretty big shift for me as I've been, you know, kind of re-navigating the space. But I have done a few shows. Right now, it seems like the focus for me is a little bit more towards my illustration career because I kind of have those two sides. Like I do, obviously, like larger scale um like gallery style work, traditional work, but I also obviously have an illustration career where I do work for Meet Delic and that type of stuff as well. So I've just tried to kind of shift gears from, I haven't done, the truth is I really haven't done as many big projects since Meet Delic, um, but I've just had more consistent, smaller like illustration projects. And the majority of my clients and the majority of the people that I work with are off island. So it's kind of funny because I'll do, you know, a gallery show here and there and the community here is so small that they'll be like, hey, are you? <laughs> You know, like, where did you come from? Like, in your successful, I've never, I've never seen you before. And I'm like, I'm successful in a space that you're not. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that, psychedelic art, I mean, when I think of it and why you fit so well in that space is, uh, I think of third eye, fractal designs, neon, neon lights, like you mentioned, uh, all of those type of aesthetics. What drew you to that initially? So I always describe myself as a very self-indulgent artist. Um, I didn't realize when I started doing what I'm doing that I, like my intention was really not 
to to be a psychedelic artist. Like it wasn't something I was like, oh, I'm going to create art for the psychedelic space. I started creating art that I found joy in. And I, you know, like indulged my inner child, you know, stuff that I wanted to see. I would sit down and start drawing and, you know, and I'm kind of the type of person, I'm a maximalist, right? So I'd sit down and start drawing and I'd be like, I think it needs more color. I think it needs more line. And then I kind of found myself um, in this position where I, I fit within, you know, that's kind of how it became, like I fit into that category where the stuff that I truly enjoy creating is so colorful and so psychedelic. And I, it's so funny because I, before I started doing, you know, research on the psychedelic community and kind of being more intentional about it, you know, more intentional about the third eye stuff, people would come up to me when I was like 19 or 20 and be like, why do you draw this stuff? And I'd be like, oh, I just like it. Like, I just didn't even really know, you know, I didn't even really know the kind of the significance of what I was doing. I was just like, I like eyes. I like weird alien stuff. And so I kind of just fell into the community, which I'm now so happy to be a part of. And, and I feel so like it's such a gift to be within an art space where this stuff does really resonate with people. And, and it was so funny. It's like I started doing it without even realizing <laughs> that I was doing it, just doing something that I loved. And I was like, oh, here's a community for me. I have to ask because uh, your experience with psychedelics, I know that you didn't, that's not how the origin of this started, but uh, how do you think it's evolved since you have tried psychedelics? Well, I can't remember, and I, I should have looked this up, but I can't remember where the quote came from, but I, but there's this famous quote, um, I'm going to say like Terrence McKenna or something, mm -hmm. but about how psychedelics, like the intention of psychedelics is really to stop using them eventually and to be able to see the world from a psychedelic perspective. And I think as an artist, um, we, we do view things differently, but I've always kind of had this gift of like, I've always felt that I viewed the world from a psychedelic <laughs> perspective. So I do enjoy psychedelics, um, but they're really not as much of a part of my creative process as people might think, because I kind of do feel like I've been blessed with that gift of, of seeing the world in that way. Like sometimes when my friends will trip or, you know, have like psychedelic experiences, they'll look at my drawings and like see what I see for a second and they'll be like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, and I don't even need it. I, mean, I just see it like that. <laughs> and I really, of course, do enjoy a psychedelic experience. It does help me um, problem solve differently. It helps me create differently. So I'm pretty sensitive to it, given the fact that I, I do feel like I kind of view the world in that way always. So I usually try to be strategic about it where I'm having like a really intentional, um, planned out psychedelic experience going into it with the intention of like, you know, leveling up my art and what I want out of it. Um, so I do think it's changed in the sense that like it's influ influenced, like now I'm more a lot more intentional about things and it does, you know, I'm a little more indulgent maybe of some of the trippier stuff. Um, but really I feel lucky in the sense that I've been able to be consistent and I just have had this worldview and I get to just express that. I love that. Um, what are your, like, what are you partial or what do you, of the psychedelics, mushrooms? I prefer LSD. Okay. Because I feel like when I, when I draw, like the stuff that I enjoy drawing visually, that tends to line up a little bit better because I do experience different visuals. And I'm also like, I'm somebody who likes to be in control. So I enjoy kind of, I feel like more controlled when I'm having um, an LSD experience versus a psilocybin experience. Um, but I enjoy both, but I, I probably prefer LSD. Well, that actually makes sense to me because, uh, when I've taken LSD, and as you well know, things are so much more vibrant. And mm -hmm. so that goes really, that becomes really in line with what you're doing, obviously, and your work. Yeah. You've been super successful with commercializing both the process of your creation and art and the product itself, but really like you have a huge, what do you have over a hundred thousand followers on uh, Instagram? 
was that a gradual thing or did that just, yes. Yeah, it wasn't. It's so funny because I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, I started Spooky Girl, like I said, probably six or seven years ago now. And when I started that Instagram page and doing that type of art, um, like I said, my gift has kind of been all, being really consistent. I've always known what I really like to draw, what I wanted to draw, the style of it. So I was able to kind of put my strongest foot forward at a young age, right? And um, I think a lot of people don't realize because there's a, an incredible flood of amazing digital artists now, especially with Procreate being so accessible. Um, but when I first started Spooky Girl, I was using Photoshop that cost, you know, $200. Oh, yeah. I was renting... I, a tablet, much less a tablet with a screen. So I would go to my local library in Ann Arbor at the time, which incredible library, but I could check out a tablet that I could draw on. So once a month, I'd be able to do like commissions and commission work. So the landscape has changed a lot. But in that space, when I was first starting, I was actually one of probably five artists on Instagram who kind of pioneered this style of art. And I think a lot of people don't really realize that because they see, you know, now it's been copied and redone a million times, which I'm happy. I'm happy about that. Um, but when people see my following and they're like, wow, you know, like, I don't know if I would have that following if I started doing the same thing right now. Um, it kind of is a testament to, you know, where I got started and where Instagram and digital art kind of got started six or seven years ago with that particular style. Okay. And you, I mean, you're juggling a number, number of things like home decor, art and apparel. What type of apparel do you have for purchase? Nothing super uh, crazy, just t-shirts with my art on it. Um, I've been having fun doing some, I like to keep the t-shirts black because I feel like my like spooky girl is a little bit moody and it works well yeah. with my designs. Um, but that's kind of opened up the opportunity. I've been doing some fun, like um, bleach dyeing and like painting on the shirts with different, with bleach and like kind of spicing up some of the t-shirt designs in that way, but mostly just t-shirts. Okay. And do you have an intentional balance with all these things that you're juggling? Like, how do you do it all? An intentional balance? <laughs> yeah. I wish. <laughs> I mean, I try. <laughs> well, I've, the reason why I'm asking is with my podcast, you know, I've just released my 50th episode and there's so much to juggle and social media is such a beast for me. And so I'm impressed with what you've been able to do as far as your growth and, and, uh, getting everything out there uh in the ether and out into the world because you're not on the mainland right and so people like you said you have most of your largest followers and people who are fully engaged they're not in hawaii it is a lot of work and it yeah i don't know how i'm doing it either truly <laughs> um <laughs> I, it's definitely, it's a lot. Um, I did hire an employee for the first time over the past year, which is also a lot to juggle as an individual and a young person just mm -hmm. navigating that experience. But right now they're actually traveling. And um, so I'm kind of doing the work of two people, you know, really doing the work of five people. But I think it's just, I, I'm able to do it because I'm so passionate about it. Um, yeah. I love what I'm doing. I, I believe in what I'm doing and I have fun doing almost every aspect of it. I will say the back end of the business stuff is not my favorite. Answering emails, not my favorite, but like the <laughs> and posting and creating content. I, I deeply love doing, I love, you know, all the different aspects of it. I love getting dressed up or doing my makeup. I love packaging orders and writing a note to my customers, you know, like all these different things. I'm the type of person that I never expected to be doing 
one thing for the rest of my life, I kind of am only happy when I'm wearing a lot of hats. Like I like to be, have, I like to have a lot on my plate. So it's kind of the perfect job for somebody who is as kind of like neurotic as I am and like enjoys all these different things. As a person in the digital and you've got your hands on all aspects of the creative space, what is your opinion in the direction of, or your, you know, what do you think of the value of any NFTs in your creative space and work? I have a lot of strong opinions on NFTs that I'm not sure a lot of people would like to hear from me. So, um, well, uh, <laughs> I figured you had... okay. well, what are your I think that the NFT, I, I, it's really, personally, I don't have any NFTs. I have never made any NFTs. Nor Actually, I did I. a couple. I did a couple um, in the very early stages I met before I think it was even as mainstream as it is now. I met a really cool person who was opening up their own little gallery, just kind of getting into it. And I worked with her and did a couple pieces for her. Um, nothing really ever came of it. But um, I'm, I'm happy that it's the, the, the trend has kind of died down a little bit because now I don't have people messaging me every single day being like, hey, have you heard of NFTs? Which has been exhausting over the past year. But for me personally, um, I think that NFTs has come, has been born out of a struggle. It's been born out of two things, an oversaturation of digital art um, on the internet because of things like Procreate making um, art creating programs very accessible or things like SoundCloud, you know, like artists, there's just been a lot of people and a new generation of people who are amazing creatives and now are coming to this space in the internet hoping to monetize it and it, the landscape isn't the same. Um, like I said, I started Spooky Girl, you know, seven or eight years ago now, and I uh, was blessed with kind of having that direction right off the bat. So I figured out a way to build something and monetize something kind of before everything became so oversaturated, um, which is my strength now. Um, so I can completely understand why the, you know, the need or the perceived need for NFTs has come about. And I think for a lot of people, um, I've seen some digital artists that I consider to be like uh, my peers, you know, like well, there's five or six of us who I feel like have had a similar journey that I pay attention to. And a few of them have have gone that direction. And it's been really interesting to kind of see their journey in relation to mine. And I have to say, it looks like they're having fun and I hope they are. I really do. <laughs> but for me, like I'm not monetizing, I'm not getting paid that way. I'm not monetizing my art that way. I've found other ways to do that. And I like to think that I can help other people find ways to do that without subscribing to um, that the NFT culture. If that's their thing, that's great. But my passion is really um, as an illustrator and a not like a artist who does kind of non-traditional art and has received a lot of backlash for that my entire career, I figured out a lot of ways to make money off of it. And um, that's something that I, I like to help other people with. And I kind of have stood firm in that and being like, you know, I do know how to make money. I don't really need the NFTs. Um, and if you want to learn how, check out my website. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't mind sharing, you said five or six artists, which of those artists in that NFT space do you feel aligned with? The one in particular that I I kind of follow is, uh, her name is Carrie. She does Bangaroo. Um, she's a really great illustrator. She does these really super fun alien, like smoking illustrations. She's done work for Rick and Morty. She's really done like a lot of fun psychedelic stuff. And um, over the past few years, she's really pivoted towards being a mostly like Web3 
um, NFT creator. And um, it's really interesting because I really do feel like kind of at the beginning, we started off in a very similar spot. We both had shops and we had similar merchandise buying from the same companies. And she's kind of uh, gone in, in that direction. And I, I think she's finding success with that. I still enjoy keeping up with her work. I feel like when I'm looking at her stuff now, I'm like peering into a different world that I know nothing about. <laughs> right. um, but it's, it's fun to follow her journey with that and see kind of, you know, if, if I were to have gone in that direction, like what that might've looked like. And so I enjoy keeping up with her work. Are you engaging with a lot of your followers? Do they reach out to you via Instagram and so forth, uh, from all over the world or where, where, yeah. Everywhere? Yeah. Japan? I just sent an order out to Paris yesterday. I was like, ooh, Paris. Oh, I was like, wow. Paris, okay. nice. Um, But yeah, I, I really all over the world right now, um, I think my favorite way to connect with my like super fans is through my Patreon, which I only have like 60 patrons right now, which, you know, after having as many followers as I do is a relatively small number. But it is so fun because I really get to, I feel like I have this added connection on Patreon with my Patreon subscribers and a couple of them, you know, are just so cool. And like, they live all over the world. And like, one of them is a stunt double and she moves uh, all over the world, you know, every six months to go work on movies. And so I'm like sending my art to whatever her new address is. And, and that's really cool. So yeah, I do, I do feel like I'm sending my stuff all over the world. I did some work for um, a coffee shop in Norway I did uh, like some menus for them and that was super cool. Like I'm never going to even probably go to that coffee shop, but it was so cool to feel oh, like I was yeah. a part of that. Oscar yeah. or somewhere else in Norway? Um, it's a chain. It's called Max oh. and Anne's. So okay. it's all over. I oh, didn't wow. even really realize the scope because obviously I'm not, I don't, I'm not super familiar, but like, they're like, Oh, do you want to do a menu? And I was like, yeah. And then I realized <laughs> like kind of how big the, the chain was. And they sent me a copy of it. I was like, wow, this is pretty great. Can I, is there a way I could find that menu cover or whatever you used? Yeah, I'll have to do a little research. So the, the, the copy they did send me ended up getting water damage on the, you know, journey over. Right. Um, but I'll see if I can find, I'll, can email maybe the rep and see if I can get Okay, copy. I was just curious. I'd be interested to see because I, I am fascinated by how art resonates in different ways around the globe, you know? It, it is it, fascinating. It's very uh, fascinating and intriguing how we all look at things differently and to that point um can you talk and tell the audience about uh the outer rim collective yeah so this is something that i'm kind of just pursuing and um is like i said kind of born out of me coming to these islands and like realizing that there really isn't a psychedelic space in the way that i have wanted, you know, I, I may have wanted there to be one. So it is something I is still very new and is more like almost like more of an intention right now, where I've like put it out there. Um, I've built it with a few of my close friends who are also artists. And the goal of the Art Outer Rim Artist Collective is not just to kind of create a space where artists who maybe their art is more psychedelic, or maybe non not as conforming to the fine art space, uh, feel feel safe and feel comfortable, but also, um, I really wanted it to be business minded, <laughs> like people like me who not only care about what they're creating, but care about um, a way of making it into a career and making it sustainable. I think that I got an, I have a degree in English literature, but my minor is in fine arts. So I did have the art school experience a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, they hated me. I didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I felt like there was a huge disparity in, um, teaching young artists how to 
make money. Um, you know, you always hear the kind of stigma attached to like when a young person says they're studying art or they want to be an artist and people are like, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. It's true. Um, but the, the funniest thing that I find in that is that in these programs and in these educational programs, there's there's a total lack of compensation for that. It's like, they're like, oh yeah, you know, good luck. Uh, we're gonna teach you how to draw and that's it. And I've always struggled with that. So the intention for me also with the Outer Rim is not only to provide a safe space for um, psychedelic and LGBTQ artists, but also to provide a community where um, I can share my knowledge and we can help each other with the hard stuff about running a business because as yeah. artists too, that's really hard. Like it's hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel as though I had a guest uh, recently, we were talking about, he's an artist and there's a lack of mentorship. I feel like in the art community, don't you think that? Oh, absolutely. And especially as somebody who like, I interact with a lot of people who are like, you know, just starting out or who want to be doing what I'm doing. I see that. And it's, and that's, that's probably my biggest passion. You know, I, I just did an interview recently where they were like, what, what are your big goals for artistically? And, you know, of course I have, you know, maybe some galleries or whatever that I'd like to be a part of, but really my passion is being able to turn around and help people with what I struggled so hard to find. Um, there really isn't, there is a total lack of mentorship and there's a total lack of, I think, like reality, like a seriousness about that it is gonna be hard, but it's still possible. And there's this huge disconnect too with the fine art world. Like I can't tell you how many people I went to art school with who told me I was selling out by um, drawing and illustrating what I do. And of course I can see their perspective because a lot of the stuff that I do for Spooky Girl is, is, is simple, right? You know, it's, it's maybe not as complex. It's, it's relatable, you know, like my life's too short to give a shit with a little alien girl. You know, the people I went to art school with are like, that's not real. I can understand why they would say that. But for me coming from a place where I, um, I don't have financial support from anyone else, you know, like I was made, I needed to make money. Um, I started my career as an illustrator to build up the support that I now have not, like I have now to be a fine artist. And I think that there's this huge stigma attached. The, the art community is, is so divided and it's so tragic, but there's this kind of idea that to sell out as an artist is a bad thing. But I think there's so many ways that you can compromise, you know, your own message and what you want to be doing to make money and to then support yourself to be able to like spread your message further. Yeah. I mean, to that point, so Jean-Michel Basquiat is one of my favorite artists. And That's so funny. And the whole thing is, I'm sure you know, like Warhol and his sort of mentorship. And he had a huge amount of backlash. And people were saying yeah. he was selling out. Why do you think it? the art community is not as inclusive and, and you know, as one would think? You know, um, artists are progressive minded and typically, but when it comes to that, it can be sort of siloed. Why do you think that's the case? That's a really good question. Um, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think as sad as it sounds, it, it comes down to ego and competition. Um, I struggled with art school because I, to, to teach artists and to, to facilitate 
art and good art is to facilitate each individual really finding themselves and being themselves. How do you do that at a mass scale? You can't. There's no way to create a factory that spits out good artists. Um, But for some reason within especially the fine art world, it's very much treated like that. And that was always the problem that I had with art school. I was like, how can you teach you like to like actually was so funny. I ended up taking this class as I as I uh, got closer to graduating. It was like one of the final classes, and it was called something like art concepts. And I remember being like, because I took a break to, from school to to model, so I came back to school kind of as like a 24, 25 year old, and I had a little more perspective. And I was like, this seems like a this, like what is the point of this class? And it was explained to me by a professor that the university was encountering a problem where they were teaching these students how to technically draw the same thing, right? Like still lives so well that by the time they got to like their senior thesis project where they needed to create their own art, they didn't know what to do. They had no personality. (laughs) And so they had to create a class to try and pull, you know, that uniqueness out of people, which was like only done in a response to like this problem that they were having. Um, So it's so funny because obviously that's a problem, but at the same time, that uniqueness does tend to be punished a little bit. Um, it does tend to be like, oh, we feel like we're competing. Maybe it's because the competition is kind of taught to us in art school as young artists as well. Like, oh, you know, we are all competing with each other. You know, somebody's art is better than somebody else's art. And in reality, everybody's art is totally unique to them. And I think that's something that we struggle with in the artistic community, but also as a culture, like really celebrating each person's uniqueness and their own strength and their own success without comparing each other to like, other people. And to be a successful artist, you have to move forward without comparing yourself to anyone else. You have to do what is true for you. Even though your professors, his reasoning and for why they had that class, did you personally have a more inclusive perspective? Did you have a group of artists or fellow uh, students that you all weren't like that? Or was did you encounter the same thing that he was talking about it was just me and hence the spooky molder in the basement uh, (laughs) situation Uh, spooky girl was born out of a feeling of being totally other and totally alienated which is also why i tend to draw so many aliens um i've always felt like i was saying stuff that people either didn't want to hear or or weren't hearing and it's been really interesting to go through that experience feeling so isolated and feeling like getting criticism I was criticized by my own professors in uh, <laughs> in art school for pursuing illustration, and and I of course came back to school with more of an adult perspective. So I would seek out my professors, and I'd be like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be an illustrator. So for this class, I'm going to present illustrations to you because that's what's going to serve me in my career." And you know, it did not fly with them. But um, <laughs> it's so funny to see, like, like looking back on that journey and seeing how much pushback I, I got from not only professors but other students as well who really didn't like me. And then when I found success, you know, later and I stuck with it, them all coming out of the woodwork and being like, oh, they're now so circling weird. back. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, oh, how do you do it? How did you do it? And I'm like, where were you? Like, I sat next to you in three classes and you hated me. Like, what are you talking about? Growing up and studying in school. Who were some of your, and are currently your favorite artists? I, of course, I'm super inspired by Lisa Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that her style of illustration for what it was and what it still is. And at the time, the way that um, she kind of created her empire is something I really admire. But I also really love 
um, just how fun and, and really psychedelic, truly, her work is. I have so many favorite artists. Um, Audra Eclair is an illustrator that I really love, and she heavily inspired me at the beginning of my journey. I am really inspired by Lauren Yee. She goes by Squid Liquor on Instagram. Um, their work is really incredible. They've just done um, some work for Meow Wolf, and I'm, almost any artist that has done work for Meow Wolf, I'm like obsessed with. That's probably my biggest goal is someday to, to work with Meow Wolf. That would be insane. But yeah, and I'm also just really super inspired by, like I said, like the old retro heavy metal artists. Like any of those, I can't, I'm blanking on names right now, but like Frank Franzetta, um, any of these kind of old, older uh, classic sci-fi illustrators who, in my opinion, were doing stuff that was pretty ahead of their time and just creating these fantasy worlds that were very illustrative and very graphic. And that's why I think I always didn't believe my professors when they told me to be less, stop outlining things, stop being so graphic. I'm like, I've grown up on this art published in books and magazines that were, you know, drawings of these beautiful space babes. Like, this is real. Yeah. So. And what about, uh, obviously, I talk to musicians a, a great amount. Uh, I have them on as guests, and music has been my medicine. What type, are you listening to music when you're creating your art a lot? Yeah, um, I I saw uh, I want to say it was a meme recently, and it was like me creating creating a playlist, and it was like a goth girl and a cowboy and like a girl in a dress, and I was like, that's kind of totally accurate of my musical tastes. Like it really changes from day to day. I have a huge appreciation for so many different genres, and I think that what I'm listening to at the time that I'm creating does kind of dictate like what mood that I'm in. Um, recently, especially in the fall, I find myself and being from Michigan, which is fall is one of the most beautiful seasons there. I get really into like folk rock and folk music and I get really into that kind of like fall feeling. Um, like Hozier, Wait, I really I love. Who? I'm sorry. Hozier. Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. Huge favorite of mine. I'm kind of a sucker for any music where the lyrics are like super deep. It's like the lit major in me that I like want to hear poetry in addition to really good music. Um, I've recently gotten into a band called Sammy Ray and the Friends. They're based out of New York and they do this like super fun, just like uplifting, like folk rock. And then I, of course I looked into them and it turns out they're an all queer band. And I'm like, why am I always attracted to all the queer people? It's, it's great. But um, I've been really into their music lately and, and, you know, just kind of classic rock and roll too. I get, I get into. What kind of classic rock? It's hard to put me on the spot. I have to write this stuff down. <laughs> Sorry. Strange. I'm, I'm thinking Strange Brew is by, I don't know. I have this whole playlist. Cream. I really love, of course. Yeah, Cream. Yep. yep. Um, I'm super into like Boston. I really loved. Um, of course, Morrissey and Smiths. So I get into. Yep. I'm also kind of a sucker for uh, some 80s like synth rock, like Alan Parsons Project oh, yeah. and like. Um, Kansas oh my gosh like that's nobody gets that everybody's like that's so weird no I I'm, I get really into stuff like that and I feel like especially when I'm creating that kind of like ballad rock especially with a mix of that like 80s synth I'm like so into it <laughs> yeah no I can see how that would fit I have to ask like aliens you think you'll see one you think you'll encounter one? <laughs> I've, I've probably already seen. I've probably already seen one. I don't know. I know. I don't know if I would know if I was seeing one. I don't know if we would know if we were seeing one. They're definitely around. I mean, we can't be the only existing uh, in the entire galaxy. Like, give me a break. <laughs> I, I watched um, the day the Earth stood still with Keanu Reeves yesterday yep. while I was drawing, and I was kind of laughing at. It. It's been a minute since I've seen it, but I was laughing at it because. 
this movie was of course made in like the early 2000s and it's about you know an alien race that's like making contact and literally the first thing they do is shoot it and i'm like you know this is just we even admit to ourselves (laughs) of course it's not like they're not going to come here like we already know what would happen um it's not going to be something where it's like I was just thinking to myself, kind of laughing, like if aliens, you know, do come, it's not going to be like this because they know how we'd react and it would probably be bad. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? Like I was telling a friend not that long ago, I feel, for instance, do you know, have you heard of Bufo alvarius? You know what that is? It's no. uh, in the plant medicine, but it's like Mike Tyson, a bunch of people. I've done it three or four. It's a beautiful, it's DMT but it comes from the Sonoran toad in Mexico. Oh, I, oh, I totally, yes, I've totally heard of this, yeah. So ayahuasca has DMT, but this is totally different. For ayahuasca, you have to do all this prep work, change your, you know, be have a strict diet and so forth. But when I've done Bufo, that's when I'm, I think to myself, of course, because how would, <laughs> I feel as though like an alien would have taught somebody millennia ago or, or further back even, because how else would we know to scrape the venom off a toad? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a whole other thing. Like the ancient aliens thing and like yes. looking back at civilizations and like all that yes. stuff. No, I, I, Pyramids, Mayan culture, like Aztecs. I feel as though there were aliens around I, te- helping them with that, don't you? And I couldn't, I couldn't even offer an explanation as to what exactly that would look like, but I feel like that's true. Like yeah. I totally agree with you. Like there's this, some stuff that's like, what other possible explanation could there be? There's no way that we were smart enough to figure this exactly. out. Exactly. Like, like, yeah. No, I think about that. <laughs> Probably. So I saw a recent post of yours about your coloring book. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I've got, I've had um, a couple new products come out over the past a couple months. One of them is my coloring book, which has been a long time coming. Um, I'm happy that it looks so professional, it came together so well because, um, it, you know, learning how to make products is is a big struggle of being a small business owner. And I was definitely kind of making my own where I'd like bind them together with the old like plastic binding and, and right. I would sell them for cheap. So I didn't feel like I was scamming anybody, but I was really ready for something like more professional. And I feel like this coloring book is is everything I wanted. It's got so many, I think it's uh, 12 illustrations and the paper quality is really great, beautiful color. Um, and I'm selling out of them really quickly. So I feel like people are happy to kind of finally have something like that for me. And you, if the audience wants to purchase one or any of your other uh, products and art, all that's on your website? So forth. Yep, my website is called shopspookygirl.com and my intention with my website was to kind of play on that nostalgic time when we used to hang out on the internet with no purpose, kind of like before social media and like play weird games. Um, yeah. I have a couple of games on my site. It's super colorful. It's really fun to look through. So even if you're not planning on buying anything, my website was designed kind of in uh, self-indulgently to spend time on, to have fun looking through things, you know, to read the different things that I've written, to play certain games. I have a section where I'm really into comic books. So I have some of my old comic books that are for sale that are some of my favorites that I recommend. So it's uh, it's fun to kind of spend time on my website. What are your favorite comic books? Well, some of the classics I think are of course Saga by Brian K. Vaughn, um, The Sandman by Neil Gaiman, which is now a Netflix special. I'm yep. feeling particularly proud about that one because I've turned almost every person in my life onto the Sandman and now it's on Netflix and I'm like, see, see? 
Nice. I know what I was talking about. That one I really love. I've just recently been getting back into A Distant Soil by Colleen Duran, which is one of my favorites. I mean, I could go on and on, but those are probably my top three right now. Yeah. Well, I love what you're doing. Please keep it up. I want to give you the floor. Is there anything else you want to share to the listeners? Yeah, I have a new collaboration that just came out with, um, it's called ZZZ's Rolling Papers. I've been working with them for a while and I finally just got, I, I love their business model. They're working with um, independent artists to create new lines of papers. I think that's a business model that more companies should be taking advantage of. There's so many people like me out there who are ready to share their work and it's just a great you know, it's benefit mutually beneficial. So that collaboration is out and you can purchase um, my line, my uh, spooky girl rolling papers with them on their site. Um, the link is on my page. And of course, a couple of podcasts coming out, I'll be posting about it. So as long as uh, you're following my Instagram and keeping up with me on social media, you'll see my new stuff. Awesome. Well, listen, Andy, I've really enjoyed this. I can't thank you enough. And I'm, I'll keep following you and I look forward to See what else you come up with and create in the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again, Andy, for joining me on Neurons to Nirvana. Please check the show notes to see the links to view and purchase any of Spooky Girl's art, coloring book, home decor, or apparel. Also, please be sure to like the video of this podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel Neurons to Nirvana podcast to follow and stay up to date to find out when the next two episodes will also be released for viewing on YouTube. I'm grateful to be able to share these experiences with you. And as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Tom Hartridge, and this is Neurons to Nirvana.